In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Come on. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Trying to hurry up and get my tobacco in my mouth before that thing finished playing. <laughs> and it didn't work out so well. So, sorry about that. But, um, we're back. Um, you listening to this? It's the eve of the eve of the uh, Bowhunter's Christmas Day. Um, Best time of the year. October 1st. Um the opening day national holiday but we um obviously have a few other archery seasons even in our state and joining us on the podcast today is ronnie duga ronnie what's going on man hey guys how's it going so ronnie you've been on the podcast before haven't you yeah i think this is number three actually okay i was trying to think i knew I knew I had. It, it, we have officially gotten to that point where I can remember that I've talked to people on the podcast, but not always what or what you know. But you've been um, uh, associated with Louisiana Bowhunter um, for a long time, wearing our stuff as a contributor. Been on the podcast, and specifically, yes, given the time of the year, you live in one of the parts of the states that do have the early opener, and you had a a good start to the season. So want to kind of start off by letting you tell a story about that deer. For those who haven't seen it, you can, you can look on a Louisiana bow hunter social media. And, uh, we posted a picture of Ronnie's deer, 
But uh, tell us a little bit, to start off with, tell us a little bit about the part of the state you hunt where there is the early, the earlier opener and what that usually looks like, and then kind of tell us a little story about your deer. Yeah, so I live in southwest Louisiana, over here on the Sabine River, in Area 8, I guess, yeah, Area 8. And um, we always start, I think it's the third Saturday in September every year because of our rut so early, like mid or the third week in October to the all the way through the end of October, really. And uh, so I guess they opened it earlier. Shoot, I didn't even know for a while growing up that everybody, all the rest of the state was October 1st. I thought, you know, everybody was the same as us. So it's nice having a little jump start on everybody. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been hot. I yeah, I was going to say, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to get a jump start, but, man, I would imagine more often than not, that's kind of kind of have to make yourself stay out there. It seems like it would be pretty miserable. I mean, it's hot in a lot of parts of the country that time of the year, but South Louisiana swamp hot's a different animal. So, I mean, typically that's probably pretty rough, huh? It is, and I tell my buddies all the time, I say, "Man, I'm gonna set it out this opening weekend. I'm not gonna go too hot. Dude, I'm not going to sit in a tree, eighty something degrees or ninety something degrees. I'm not doing it." But uh. I seem to find myself there every year doing the same thing over and over. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty rough, man. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's different. I guess it's easier to make yourself go hunt if you have a deer on camera, you know, so, if you have yeah, a, that, something that's to chase. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's... I, I would, I would agree with that, that theory. This, yeah, uh, so this, my... You had the deer you killed, you had it on camera? Yeah, I had him on camera three days prior to going. And uh, yeah, that's, pro- that's probably the only reason that I went. You know, I said I was going to go, and uh, he showed up on camera. It uh, went out there. But, <clears throat> but shoot, going, leading to it, and really, I've been out there a lot, just moving cameras around just like crazy. I've this year is probably the most that I've used cameras, cell phone cameras. I have I have eight now, and I've just been bouncing around, bouncing around, moving them, moving them here and there, trying to find something. And uh, finally found some deer and I mean, a lot of the small bucks, does here and there. Really wasn't finding anything decent. And I, there's a little area that I hunt, and it's kind of by a big thicket, and I always hunt. Right on the old logging road on the side of it. And I always hunted there and ran cameras there. And it's a lot of does. And usually you'd see bigger deer, but more toward the rut, closer to the rut. So, and it's kind of always been hesitant to going in the thicket, you know. And uh, I finally just said, hey, look, I'm going to go in there and kind of see what's going on. What's up? And it's so thick of there, it's hard to kind of get in there. But I finally found a little pathway or a little opening, I guess you call it, in there and you know, find a little opening where they had big patch of uh, rubs. It's like a little small, part. I don't even know if it's an acre or big, but like 20-something rubs in there. Oh, man, this looks pretty good. But I was looking around. I couldn't find any, anywhere to hang a stand or anything. It's so thick. And, and there's a little, you know, spotty pine trees here and there. And uh, sort of kind of easing through there a little more. And I finally found like a little opening, part size of a in-ground swim pool that had two scrapes on both sides of it. And I found a tree that was 10 yards, 12 yards away from it. So I hung a camera on it and um, threw out some corn and shoot. 
two days later, I had a picture of a bunch of does there. Another day later, a little small basket rack eight. And then these, then I had two eight points showed up. This this one and another one. And um, at nighttime. And so the next day, little, all the little does and little small bucks. And then at night, two bucks again. So I said, well, shoot, I'm going to go. When I get off of work, I'm going to run out there and go hunt. And uh, we're leading into where I got to go. It's a, you know, it's probably a mile road. And before, I would always either park my truck and ride my four-wheeler halfway down. And this is last year. I'd ride my four-wheeler halfway down and then walk the rest of the way. Well, this year, I bought a e-bike. Kind of get a little better advantage on them. So I parked it in on a mile down there. And as soon as I got to my spot, I parked. And I had a picture come on my camera. You know, that little small basket rack eight. Uh, well, I guess if I bump him out, out of there, it's really that big of a deal. I'm not trying to hunt him or anything. And he has a run with the, the two bigger eight. So I took off on my bike all the way down the trail. Park, look at my camera. Camera's still going off. I ease in there. I'll get all the way up to where my tree is. I look over. I go in there with a little green light and look, he's sitting there staring at me. And he's bobbing, weaving his head back and forth, back and forth. And um, I hunt over like a little, I'm sure y'all heard of the little one six with the, when you run with a saddle or whatever. And um, so I went ahead and started climbing up the tr- pine tree. And, you know, pine trees, how loud they are if you touch it at all. Mm-hmm. And um, he basically kind of walked off. So I really wasn't worried about it. He never blew or anything. That's one thing I was kind of worried about if he started blowing or something. Anyway, I got set up, and I don't know, nothing really happened for a while. Then all of a sudden, it was about 8.25. I saw that little small eight coming to me. We're bigger than a little basket rack, but the one that was running with that big deer. And uh, he made a little loop and came up and started eating right in front of me, and then here comes that other one. Well, in that little patch, I have a little opening. I don't know. It's, 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 it's very tiny opening. I have one shot. There, that's it. And uh, that little one came in, and he come in broadside of me. But the big one, he kind of stayed out away from me, where I had nothing. You know, I, I could see him, but I didn't have a shot on him. And these deer, I'm talking about, they're 10 or 12 yards from me. And um, that little little one, he's acting skittish. Well, he kind of gets his head behind the limb, and that bigger one's coming. He's coming straight on to me. And he kind of come out to the opening, but he's still facing with me. And so I kind of drew back real slow. And I was just sitting there holding it, holding it, holding it. And he started eating. I figured he was going to kind of come in and turn broadside or at least give me a shot. And he just kept walking to me, walking to me. And then finally, he looked right up at me. And then my eyes got big. I'm talking about real big. Ears. I mean, looking right at me. <laughs> I just kind of just, my bow was actually off to the left of me, left of him. And whenever he saw me, I said, well, this is my only shot that I have. He's, he's about to bolt, you know, because you can tell when a deer looks at you. My eyes get so big. So I just kind of, without hesitating, I just went all the way over to him, put it right there in his chest, and just shot him. And uh, it's center punching. It worked out real good, man. He ran, I don't know, I don't know how far, 60, 70-something yards, and I thought I heard him crash. Oh, yeah, I got it. Done deal. So I gave it a little while. I gave it 20 minutes. And um, got down, packed all my stuff up, and um, I wasn't too worried about it because I just swore I heard him crash. And uh, I walked over there. He broke off my arrow with 
um, sinking it down into him and had 10 inches of air hanging out. Well, he broke it off right there on the impact or whatever he turned right there. Picked up my arrow and I didn't see any blood. So I was like, oh, that's crazy. I said, well, kind of hit him high in the chest or it was kind of like on the side of his neck right there. You know, maybe he didn't exit out, but didn't have much of a blood trail. So, but I heard him crash, you know, in that direction. I'm kind of walked that way and I'm still looking for blood and not finding anything at all, not finding anything. So I'm just kind of like walking slowly that way. And I heard, I'm like, ah, my freaking heart sunk. I said, oh, no, I just jumped him. He's gone. I ain't going to find this thing now. And uh, I said, well, he done took off. I might as well just kind of walk up a little bit more, kind of see what's up. I can find some blood or something. And so I just kind of eased up a little bit more and looked, and he was laying over there dead. I'm just assuming that was the little eight point that was running with him. and kind of just hung by him whenever he fell. Yeah, I've done that several times where that's all you can really figure is another deer in the area, you know, and but it makes your heart sink. How <laughs> oh, it does. Because you're like, I think the deer's like, like, I actually did that one time a long time ago with a rifle. And I shot a, I shot at a really nice deer and he ran up in this thicket and I thought, I mean, I shot him at, 50 yards with a 280 i just assumed that he just ran in there and died you know yeah and i was right off the mississippi river bank and i slipped up in there and the same thing happened a deer jumped was right at dark too like i shot him probably 45 minutes before dark and it and i waited took me a minute you know i got down did all this thing and um there's one actually i was sitting on the river bank looking at a slough scouting for ducks for the next morning to see if there was ducks coming in and out of there. And I just took my rifle. I didn't have a rifle hunt. I took it just like to shoot a hog or something while I was watching for ducks. And this buck comes running a doe down the riverbank. Anyway, I shot, and the deer just jumped across the road into this little thicket. I mean, I'm talking about a thicket like the size of your mm, backyard. man. I mean, like a, a quarter of an acre, not even. I mean, a small thicket. And uh, I walked over there, and the same thing happened. A deer took off running, and I'm like, holy crap, because the, the doe he was chasing, it went on the other side of the road from him. When I shot, the deer run, went on into the thicket. The doe, I mean, I was looking at them both, and I didn't see any other deer there. The doe went on the other side of the road. And so when it took off, I heard it, and I'm like, what the hell, you know? And uh, I, all of a sudden, I see this real. Uh, I see a, a a body of a deer standing where I just heard that run, and I'm like, well, he just got up. So I shot. It was a freaking doe. <laughs> so you killed two? <laughs> no, I didn't kill the buck. I didn't hit it. Apparently, oh. apparently, I heard the buck run off, and there was another doe standing there that I never saw, and I ended up killing a doe out of the whole deal. And I wasn't even supposed to shoot a doe. I wasn't even there deer hunting. <laughs> Anyway, sorry to interrupt your story, Ronnie, but I've done that that with a bow too, where you're like, "Holy crap, that's a horrible feeling." Oh yeah, and you know, like whenever you hear a deer run off and when it crashes, I mean, you know that sound. Yeah. That, yeah. Whenever they fall and flip over and all that, I mean, you know. And that's that's what I was feeling. Oh, where you see it, done deal. Yeah, I mean, oof. Whenever I heard that one deer pouncing off, oh my god. <laughs> I, I thought I had tears coming out. I'm like, I thought I center punched him. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I uh, I I think uh, I know me and Lock. How I know how me and Lock feel. But when you said you uh, you got your an e bike this year, I just 
I kind of just smiled because that just those things are the absolute ticket. And it sounds like you kind of hunt in some piney woods. So I know that those bikes riding over pine needles don't make a single noise. So that's pretty cool. I, I think yeah. uh, I think you're going to get some good use out of it. Buzzard Roost Saddles made right here in the great state of Louisiana should be on every Louisiana bow hunter's list as a must-have in their hunting arsenal. Buzzard Roost Saddles achieves comfort through adjustability for those long day sets during the rut and also provides the maneuverability to get up and move when you see the need. Buzzard Roost Saddles was created with the need to lighten the Piro as well as the backpack to go deeper than everyone else. Louisiana bow hunters are a mixed bag and Buzzard Roost Saddles is the tool to fit any job. Whether it's public land, private land, hardwoods, pines, or even the bottomless swamps, Buzzard Roost Saddles has what you need to stay mobile. Oh, I love it. I've, I've been wanting to get one for a while. Finally found one. Yeah, you ain't lying. No, you they're, they're awesome. Up, I had a, it comes with a little light on the front of it. Yeah. I had to tape up my little light on the front of it because the light will never go out. you got to unplug it somewhere down in the battery, so I didn't tape that thing up. <laughs> but yeah, I love that thing, man. It's quiet, and it, it goes through some stuff. It really does. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. I could, I could see that being a big game changer this year. Yeah. Yep. They're expensive, though. That's one thing about them. They're proud of them. Yeah, they're not cheap. But yeah. I'll tell you what. I got two of them, and uh, Colin and I have I ha- we have my bike rack wore out before the bikes did. We have hauled them things. Did you get the, that thing fixed? No, I ordered a new one. <laughs> <laughs> so we've hauled them all over the country, and to you know to your point about being quiet and slipping up. I mean, last year, Colin and I were riding down the edge of a soybean field for a mile plus back to this area we were hunting, and. Uh, Every every morning and even after dark, we were riding right past deer on the edge of the field and bedded up in the grass on the edge of the field, and they just watch us ride by. Like they don't, oh, like, yeah. like, I don't think they know what it is because it doesn't have a, you know, it doesn't have that loud intrusive presence like a a four wheeler or something, and it's just, uh, yeah, they're great. I mean, you you got to think that they most likely have never encountered this before, you know. Like they're so new, I just feel like they they truly have no idea what it is, and just as fast as oh, like you ride up on them, you're gone. Yep. I guarantee where I'm at, they've never seen one in their lives ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm but glad between, uh, between a go ahead. I was gonna say between a e-bike and cell cameras. Oh mm. man, you can really do some stuff. <laughs> well, I noticed last year. Um, I've talked about it numerous times on this podcast and a bunch of different conversations but i have some property here behind my house that i hunt and i got a really good road system that i've worked really hard on on you know seven eight years i've had it but but uh last year for the first time especially during the week when everything was quiet and there wasn't people hunting on the properties around me and i the the few i would take my e-bike and i would go ride because I basically the thing about my property is the primary areas I hunt are on the north side, which is my the road, the paved road where my two gates into the property are, are the south border of the property. So basically, I got to go all the way across the property. The property is kind of a big rectangle, and I basically go from the south side line all the way across it to hunt 
where I've got some hardwood bottoms and stuff on the north sides where I hunt most of the time, and I noticed, it, call it coincidence or whatnot, but I saw more deer movement on the days that I parked on the road and just rode in on my e-bike than ri- even riding my side-by-side and walking five, 600 yards. I still had, I just felt like I noticed more general movement um, when I used it. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So your deer, for those who haven't seen the picture, it was a, uh, it was an eight point, right? Yes, sir. It yeah, looked kind of dark, chocolate horned looking deer. Mm-hmm. Um, do y'all get that characteristic in that area? Those dark horns like that? A lot. Yeah, they they get pretty dark horned. <clears throat> Shoot, most of them do. It. We don't really get any white horned deer at all. Um, which I think, what they say, the dark horn is kind of for poor nutrition. Well. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I don't know. I've never heard that, but I mean, I, obviously, there's something attributing it. You know, something. But I killed a deer yeah. back here behind my house, um, years several years back, and it is. I mean, it is like it looks like a piece of saddle leather that's been oiled. It's so dark, and but it's that way. Like it'll rub off. It's got. It's almost got a stain to it because of this certain tree. That's what I was told anyway. Because there are parts of his horns where you can see they're not that dark. And hmm. you know the thing that doesn't add up is, is I've killed several bucks back there, and none of them are light horned, but this one is notably different. And you can see even when we skull mounted it right there around the bases, um, some of that wore off. And somebody around here told me I don't know the name of the tree. Uh, the bush, it's really more of a bush that they rub their horns on a lot and it has an oil to it and it makes them darker and I was just wondering maybe if in that area y'all have something like that I mean if there's something that kind of stains their horns I don't know I don't think so because I mean as soon as they drop the belt around here they're like that I mean they're dark real dark horned deer so well growing up in Mississippi growing up in Mississippi I don't know if it was just camp talk or if there was some validity to it but you oftentimes heard about mississippi river swamp deer being dark horn deer and that would and it you know that that theory or that just kind of camp fodder it was kind of based in the idea that the new that that something to do with what they were eating or the quality of the soil which is obviously opposite of what you just said because it kind of lent itself to the darker horn deer because they were getting more nutrients or or something right i, I don't know yeah i mean i don't know that's, that's kind of what i heard I mean, i've heard people say that the sunlight fades them you know the lighter as the year goes on you know i've heard a lot of different things mm-hmm. but i killed a, a deer in mississippi last year i'm looking at him right now and the bottom of his, of his antlers are all dark 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 when you start going up it starts getting lighter and lighter and lighter so yeah i've yeah, seen it that like, before too you know yeah, that like kind of could be rubbing on something yeah, like you said. Something like that kind of makes me wonder about if it's something he's rubbed his horn. You know, if he's not, and it obviously wouldn't be a single thing. I mean, it's something he's doing regularly, you would think. But I, the the weird yeah. thing about this deer that I killed, and and it's it's a it's really a different scenario, and you really have to see it to 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 understand what I'm saying. But it it literally like I've I've had numerous people 
look at this Euro mount in my office and ask me, did you like stain those horns or something? Because it doesn't just look naturally dark. It literally looks like I took some kind of leather oil or something and like you took put some wood stain on like it. It looks like I put wood stain on it. It doesn't look like it's just naturally dark, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. That's, I, it's interesting. I see. Uh, I'm looking at this this picture of your deer, and I see. So is that a is that just a platform you have on the top of your stick, or is that a one stick that you do? Uh, one stick. That's a yeah. Uh, so I pretty much since last year, I've I've been going strictly with that that one stick. I made it myself. A little, I've weathered a little like like a little plate, checker plate, aluminum checker plate, and weathered on top of a lone wolf stick. And uh, yeah, rake it up from there. I love it. So I, mean, that's, I don't. That's what I, I, I wanted like to the obnoxious um, saddle guy. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you don't find so so this is I mean we me and lot we hang and hunt a lot like we hang and hunt more than we don't hang and hunt and to me it just seems everybody's always like oh you know it's it it, it doesn't require any effort it's just so easy da 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 da. I, I got to tell me, tell me what, you, be honest with me. Tell me what, you, I mean, is it that easy or, or what, what's your take on it? I really do. I think it's, I think it's that easy. I can definitely climb a tree faster than you can get a climb stand or a four stick, all that. Um, it, it, I mean, I find it very easy. And then I can repel down and make it real fast. But yeah. And I, I guess the, the, the pines can, help can, you too. Oh yeah, fine. Obviously, yeah, definitely. You know, but I don't want to sound crazy, but I can climb twenty foot in a pine tree with this thing, with it, you know, in my hand, not on my back. Probably four and a half, five minutes. I can do it. I mean, I've done it a lot with it and practiced a lot. I mean, that's perfect scenario. That's a pole, you know, a, a telephone pole size pine tree take off. But I mean, I don't know. I got used to it last year. We started last year, man and buddy. We did both the same thing and. And we took off with it, and we went out of state three trips, and just been wide open since with it. I love it. I I, I got stands, and I got tons of lock ons. You know, I don't I don't see myself hanging any of them at all. Not anytime soon. I just lock, bounce around. Try, like, I mean, I, try this or what? <laughs> I mean, I, I, if you bring it to my house, I could climb one of the trees in the front yard and try it out, but. <laughs> I, and hey, I thought it was crazy too. Whenever I started seeing this on the internet, and I was laughing at my buddy, I said, "Look at these jokers using this little stick climbing a tree, and look at them—they're jumping down with rope and propelling down." I said, "That's crazy. There ain't no way." And then he said, "Man, let's try it." I said, huh? Okay, so we got one got one set up. And we tried it. Like, oh wow, <laughs> it's too bad. And uh, my brother-in-law, he actually does tree work, so he he gave me a some descender try like a little figure eight rope and all that so i didn't have to go really spend a lot of money on it and um he showed me kind of how it all worked oh wow this is this is a ticket right here you got to have a descender though my, my buddy he's still he's still running a little figure eight he, he's kind of being a little cheap don't want to buy that hundred dollar defender but man that sure is nice i mean you can literally yeah. just kind of stand down a little bit grab your stick you can drop it or you know hang it on your saddle and just all the way out to the bottom. There's nothing. So how do you? So uh, this is a complete 
I have uh, like I haven't even researched it as much as Colin probably has watched people do it. Well, I didn't even. I, I mean, I've. How, I, do you, how do you get your damn rope down after you <laughs> rappel down? Uh, you gotta have you gotta have so another you, line. Your pull up rope line. Yeah. But still, yeah, the yeah, somebody just got to be connected up there, right? No, there's so there's a way to do it. I've top. seen the video. So on top, you have your carabiner that's gonna wrap around itself on the rope and hooks up. Well, now you take a little small rope, you know, like a little size of your pull-up rope or something, something small, and you tie it to the hoop. You kind of let that go all the way down to the ground. So whenever you repel down, you just pull the little small string that pulls the loop and carry it all the way down to you. So what happens if you pull the damn thing while you're repelling? You just fall? No, no, you don't put it well, on you there. don't grab the other rope. <laughs> yeah, but... You repel down on your big rope, and then your other rope is kind of hanging over there. Mm-hmm, until it's not. You'll, ha- you'll have to see... You'll have to watch a video a lot, because... So I actually have the rope and the ro- and the rappel device. And what my plan was, was to use spurs on private land and just climb up quick with the spur, put my platform on, and then just rappel down. So I... And I've done it, done that some in my backyard. Um, so I actually have the rope and the, the cinder and all this and that, and but I don't have the I don't have the one stick platform. And I'm a gear junkie, and I'm sure before over the next few years, I'm probably will end up with one or trying it or something. But to me, it just seems like it might be too good to be true, but maybe not. It does. It does seem that way. It seems like it's a lot of work because you got to hang it up there and kind of climb right back up on your, your aider and your stick and hang on the side of a tree. I mean, I, I was the same way. I, I thought it was the craziest thing in the world. There's no way I'm doing it. Not doing it. But it, I mean, you get used to it and you do it a bunch, like in your yard. It, it, it's, it's pretty easy. I, I have, I don't know, probably six buddies now that all do it. Like they, they were the same way I was. They come watch me do it. I show them how to do it, and they're all doing it. And they, they think it's, a, it's a, the best thing, you know, since life's bread. Like, oh, we're, we're, like, we're all doing it. We're not going back the other way. So. so so let me ask you this. This is my last question about this one sticking. Nonsense. <laughs> but so you said like four to, four to five minutes for like a good, like a nice tree. What about a tree that has a lot of limbs? Surely that has to slow you, you down. Have- yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, you got to have two ropes. You got to have your your regular setup that you use in a lineman's rope, and you got to clip two ropes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, depending on how many limbs there is. But yeah, it does slow you down. I mean, but with anything else, if you were to climb with regular sticks, I mean, that's going to slow you down big time. And you know, climbers yeah. just it ain't going to happen in a period. But uh, I don't want to be that one stick fanboy, you know, I'm like a crossfitter, you know. But uh, yeah, I really do like it. <laughs> well, if you did CrossFit, it'd probably be a whole lot easier to do the work of one thing. <laughs> hey, I, I could. T- I don't. I don't. I don't do CrossFit, but I have lost sixty pounds since last year, and it's it's gotten way easier for me. So, well, maybe one day. I ain't getting no younger though. <laughs> hey, you got. This year is the year to do it. You got to. You got to try it. Uh-huh. I don't know, man. We'll see. Well, didn't you get a saddle? I thought. I yeah, thought I, I do. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's that's a good you're point. Half, you're halfway there. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and and look, I if I haven't made, I don't think I've made any kind of declaration about this, even though we've talked about it openly, so to speak. 
I am much more. I I. I the word enjoy is what I'm about to use, and I don't know that that's the right word. But I I enjoy using the saddle for uh, a lot more than I thought I would. I still, I always said, and, and all these conversations we've had over the years since this has become more popular, and I've gone through every phase of I'll never do that to I don't know and blah, 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 blah. And now I have one, and I use it. And I, I not exclusively. It's just a tool. We've had all those conversations. But the one thing that has never changed for me since I first ever looked at it and thought, I don't know if I'd want to do that, all the way to actually using it uh, semi-regularly, I don't like facing the tree, and I don't like, you know, with the bridge and and everything, it just, there's, there's still a lot of stuff going on between me and that tree, and I, I just enjoy sitting with my back to the tree looking out at what I'm hunting I just that that's a I enjoy whatever you call that um whatever however you would uh explain that part of it I enjoy that better I don't necessarily think that there's an advantage or disadvantage to that it's just simply if I'm sitting there four hours I like to lean back against the tree and look forward like that that is is better for me and I think that, generally speaking, ninety—I would say this is ninety-nine percent of all people, but certainly it's ninety-five percent of me. Of ninety-five percent of the shots I take with my bow, I'm standing up on two feet. Now I do sit down. I've practiced out of my saddle. If I'm planning to hunt off the ground or anything, I will take shots and practice. But ninety-five percent of the time, I'm standing on two feet. All right, picture this. It's a frosty November morning. You're 20 foot up in a lock-on, and you got a big buck running a doe by your stand. I know many places in the country, you don't get a chance to see things like that. But here in Kansas, you do. Hi, this is Matt Wanzer with 180 Outdoors. We've been guiding hunts in Kansas and Oklahoma since 2006 and selling real estate for the last eight. We do a lot of land leasing and property management. We can set up tree stands, plant food plots, just about anything that you would need to take care of your farm. Whether you own a piece here, you lease a piece here, or you're looking to do either, we can help you get set up with that. But did you know that we also own a real estate brokerage? It's L2 Realty Inc. That stands for Land and Lifestyle Properties. We do a lot with hobby farms, but we also specialize in hunting properties. And with those hunting properties, you'll run into the opportunity to earn with tillable ground, livestock grazing, uh, mineral rights, and hay. So if you want a safe place to put your money and an opportunity to hunt big Kansas whitetails, check us out on YouTube catch the YL2 video, www.l2realtyinc.com, or of course on any of your major social media platforms, Instagram or Facebook. Look us up. Hey, we're a hard charging company and we're looking to grow. If you've ever thought about a career in real estate and living the outdoor lifestyle, then we'd like to talk to you about how our team can support you and grow your career. If you want to learn more about us, check us out on YouTube at L2 Realty Inc., Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, l2realtyinc.com. So being able to stand up on a platform on two feet and shoot just feels like something I am way more comfortable with. And I guess maybe one day if I, you know, get to the point where I've shot a whole bunch of deer that way. But still, I mean, on a on an everyday kind of deal, the majority of my practice is going to be grab my bow, walk outside, stand there, and shoot. 
I might practice out of my saddle, and I might practice other ways, but those are going to be exceptions, not the norm, you know. So all of those things still play into it, but I do enjoy it more. It's more comfortable than I thought it would be, and I feel more confident with it than I thought I would be. Now, right. I still question – this is the – like, I'm looking at this objectively, and we're uh, – for people who don't give a rip about this, and we were going to talk about early season deer hunting and Ronnie killing the deer, we're going to get back to that, I promise. But, I like, so the way I have my situation set up, I have four sticks, right? So I start on the ground, and I hang one stick. I've got two sticks bundled together on one hip. I've got one stick on the other hip. I have um, Amsteel daisy chain style things, so I don't have to, like, mess with a buckle and do all that i hang a stick i climb up on it i stand on the top step i grab one off my hip i stick it i pull the jd chain around slap and then start climbing i cannot i can i can go whop 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 four sticks and then i hang my platform or my lock on or whatever i'm hunting out of i still can't see how there's a simpler way to do it than that now i granted it's not always completely simple to get everything hung off of your hips before you but once i start going up it's all right there it's hang the stick set the stick climb up the stick grab the next stick hang it set it climb up it hang it set it climb. And, and so it just it's hard for me to imagine implementing okay i've i've hang i've hung the stick i've set the stick i've climbed up it now i've got to set myself i've got to get the stick i've got to move the stick like it just I believe you. It's not that I don't believe you. I just, it's so hard for me to wrap my brain around. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, and you won't, I mean, I'm not trying to convince you of it, but yeah, I mean, you won't until you actually kind of start doing it. I was the same way. You know, I, I said, no way. It ain't happening. Now, I can definitely yeah. see where if all you got to do is walk in the, in, you don't have to have a bundle of sticks attached to your lock on mm-hmm. or attached or to platform. your pack. Or platform. I mean, I, I mean, I could definitely see the the in any the entrance and exit part of it being a whole lot more simple. It's a lot less equipment to pack in. Yeah. But, and I can see yeah. I can see that part of it a whole lot more for the person that's doing more DIY public land stuff, where they're probably having to walk a lot further, or they are kind of hunting as they go, so to speak, where. If, if it's me and I get off of my four-wheeler, my e-bike, or get out of my truck, I'm walking 200 yards to the tree, and I know what tree I'm climbing. Like, yeah. I'm kind of prepared to pack what I'm going to pack. I, that's all That's all done before I ever even get out of the truck and start walking. You know? So. And that was my the whole reason we got into it, because we hunt with public plan, hunt so much out of state, you know, all over. And we just kind of became, I guess, so useful to us. In public land, I guess you say easy to us. I, mean, I just do it on my lease now. I don't know, but yeah, it is hard to convince someone by just telling them about it. You know, if I mean I live close to you, I'd go over there and show you. But we live probably four hours away from each other, so probably not going to show you. But yeah, but yeah, we kind of went down a rabbit hole there, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Well, <laughs> we got a bonus because we brought you on to talk about early season deer hunting success and strategy because. You hunt in that's part of the state that opens early. You've already killed a deer early, and we didn't know you were a one sticker, and so we got that. Oh, yeah. It's like a bonus, a bonus we didn't even know when we asked you to be on the podcast. Reel it, reel it back in. Lock. Bonus content, bonus content. So, so hey, my name, my name's Ryan Dugas, and I saddle hunt in one stick. <laughs> and you'll be doing CrossFit as soon as the season's over yeah. to make up yeah. for your to make up for your lost time. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, but the question is, do you carry your vape in your in your side pocket or your back pocket? <laughs> oh no! Oh man! Um, all right, so I did. So back, back to deer hunting. It's always like extra, We may have talked about this on one of the previous times you were on the 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 podcast, and I think we've talked about it with other conversations about that part of the state. But the the early rut down there is always fascinating to me. And as far as what we're talking about on this this episode with with early season talk, um, like I would assume, and I know you hunt in Mississippi and other places, and I'm sure you do some some October first hunting in other places or have anyway, it's probably a lot easier for you to scout and prepare given the ruts earlier. So there's probably a lot more to scout in your area given the early rut. Am I right or am I wrong about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we you start seeing signs before the season even opens, and they start making ruts, and I guess, shoot, it seems like as soon as they drop their velvet, they start making scrapes and all that. I said ruts. They start making yeah. their scrapes. But, um, yeah, like our early September, you start seeing scrapes everywhere down the wood. Yeah, that would be so yeah. nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. here, I mean, like, I guess probably what most people, you know, the majority of the state being October 1st in a rut that's more around Christmas and, you know, late November, early December, Christmas, whatever. Like this time of the year, that's a constant challenge for me is, you know, when I'm on a place that I've hunted for many years, then I have the historical data to go off of, and it kind of opens it up for you. When you go in the woods, you're looking at it from a perspective of what it's looked like before and what kind of sign was there before, and so it's easier to kind of pick up on, kind of pick up where you left off. But when you're doing, when you're doing something new in August and September, trying to prepare for October the 1st, it's so green and it's so thick, and the deer patterns are, are you know, if you're, if you're in – mixed hardwood pine timber like a lot of the state and you don't have the ag that you can see deer coming out into in the evenings and find those easy access in and out of those that agriculture or something like that it's so hard to identify and i don't know about your part of the state but for us there's not even feed there's not like primary feed trees this early that doesn't for me i don't ever find those until second third week of october and this year with it being so dry it's even worse so um I was, you were telling the kind of the story about your deer and you were talking about how you found the rubs and scrapes and for a minute i'm like what is he talking about and then i real then i remembered you know that y'all have the early rut so that's uh that's kind of an interesting side note to your to your situation down there so when is so what is what is your as predictable as it can be what is your predictable kind of rut schedule for that that part of the state it's usually the third week of october through the end of october when that kind of will stretch right there so um, you're in pre-rut and they, on October 1st. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. They start, you know, picking up your activity. Really starts picking up. Yeah. Hmm. It's so interesting yeah. because, like, like where I hunt, you know, it's like a lot of times, like, a cold front will get the scrapes will start popping up and this and that. And it's kind of almost like it's almost like the, the, cold, the cold front gets the scrapes going, but the, even the cold front kind of seems like sometimes it can really kick the action off for the for the rut and uh there's no cold front in september so <laughs> yeah you don't have to worry about that or just, yeah well, well actually whenever i killed mine we had like a little north little northern come in and dropped the degrees down it was 64 65 degrees for three days and that's when i killed him on that last day of it yeah um mm. but i really i wasn't seeing a whole lot i mean not, not in this little area right here 
mean, I was throwing cameras all over. I'd get, you know, pick up one here or there, but it wasn't anything consistent. And finally, you know, had a camera over here, got that first little northern come through, and I picked up on two, two bucks. And then day two, same thing. And day three, it was still 64 degrees when we hunting, and that's the first time they showed up during the daytime. So, But since then, I mean, I've had a couple, but nothing consistent. That was like the most activity I had was those three cool days, you know. And now they're kind of shutting down completely. It's, and your mornings are 76 degrees over here. So it's been tough. I've been, I've been, I went this morning and moved three cameras around just yeah. trying to find something. Well, I mean, just little does and small bucks, but nothing, nothing crazy. You know, to even, well, I mean, to kind of highlight, Again, kind of like I got pictures of deer and velvet yesterday. That's great. And this, and, and we so, lose our velvet October eighteenth. I mean, not October, August eighteenth through August twentieth. It's usually like every year, kind of falls in between those couple days. That's, that's when they start losing their velvet. Well, I got every year. The majority of the deer that I have on camera are hard horned already and have been for several weeks, but um. I have a couple of small bucks here in East Feliciana Parish that had velvet yesterday, like full velvet, not like shedding velvet. And I have a 130-inch eight-point, a nice mature eight-point in uh, southwest Mississippi, not 40 miles from the state line. and Well, 40 miles north of of the state line here, but just right across the river from Louisiana. Um, he's a five-year-old deer. I know him on our property there i say he's five pretty sure he's five but he's mature and he's in full velvet got his picture three day, uh three times yesterday and wow so yeah and i'm i missed a deer years ago uh on october the 6th in full velvet in mississippi in southeast southwest mississippi uh now he was with a bachelor group of five bucks and all of them were completely hard horned but him and he was completely in full velvet so I don't even know what caused, and he was by far the biggest deer of the bunch. I mean, he was a really nice deer. I mean, I, I know exactly he he was almost 150 inches because he got killed later in the season. Um, yeah, you know, so yeah, that that's crazy. I, you know, how that happens and why? Like why 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 would why would the, that coastal areas down there? And why? Do you, have you ever heard from you know being from there, living there? I mean, have you ever heard? Any plausible theories as to why they rut early down there? Uh, no. I mean, you hear like different things about like, the floods and all that, but not nothing anything for sure that I would say. But flooding is like the main thing that, that I've always heard. But I mean, can't really be. I can't be you know for sure on it. Yeah, I always heard that growing up in Mississippi along the river. I'll you know along the Mississippi River, the rut is is later. And in the southwest corner of Mississippi, the rut is really late. It's after New Year in January. And I was always told by um, people that it was the spring flooding was why the rut yeah. was so. Because, I mean, you could literally drive up out of the river bottom five or ten miles and go across Highway 61, and the rut was over. And they were just getting started yeah. five miles away. And, the, you know, the the spring flooding with the pregnant does and all that kind of stuff is what I always always heard. The same the same theory, flooding affecting it in a different direction, but, right. but affecting it. So I don't know. Right. So yeah. yeah. So I think there's been a lot of debates on that. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think it, it, I think it has to be evolutionary for some reason. Like, right. I mean, it, it's because I think like there's only a couple states that are like this, you know, where the ruts yeah. are all completely different. You know, was it yeah. Mississippi the same way? Mississippi and maybe Alabama. I think. Yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know of all the theories and, and what it could be, but to me, if if Colin hunts 20 miles from me, if his rut's two weeks, three weeks different than mine, okay, whatever. But when it's two months different, there's something. I mean, that that's not, yeah. uh, that's something, something environmental, unless, unless there is a strong genetic situation going on where you truly have a different strain of whitetail that just haven't yeah. really interbred with with more northern strains of I feel the like it's I feel like it might be that because you remember like even Blair said that there was however many different species of whitetails and yeah you know for for th- those deer to be you know rutting now or, or almost you know about to be rutting and then like you know yeah. The Midwest is November, and then where I hunt in Louisiana is first of the year, and then where they hunt Alabama is February. So you know, yeah, it's well, it's weird. I mean, yeah, it's Thanksgiving in East Louisiana Parish, and it's January twenty miles down the road. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So I've heard the same thing, like in Tinsall Parish, where they have two different roads where people say they brought in these what wisconsin blues deer or something like that i'm sure you've always heard that yeah like there's two different ruts up there from the different species of deer so they have a lot of that going on here because i live very close by the way the crow flies within a handful of miles from the ottawa deer research center the lsu operates here and they've had a lot of different deer in and out of there and there's also been some big landowners that had high fences and different deer have entered and entered kind of mixed in and um, around this area, north of Baton Rouge, East Feliciana Parish specifically, um, man, there's the rut comes and goes more often and for a longer period than anywhere I've ever hunted. I've I've been sitting in a tree stand on like I remember specifically several years back. I had went and hunted in the Midwest somewhere, Kansas or or Missouri or somewhere like that, for like November the first. And I was there for a little while, and I came home, and it was like November the 6th or 7th, and it was like the first full day back home. I went and sat in a stand here behind the house and had like four bucks just wearing a doe out, grunting and fighting and snort wheezing and going on and on. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, it's November the 6th, you know. It's like 70 degrees. And um, I'm like, what is going on, you know. And then and I hunted. I didn't see another sign of rut activity for like, a month you know it just kind of comes and goes so i don't know what all that's about but i i don't know if y'all remember this there used to be there was a tv show on the outdoor channel or i think it was the outdoor channel they they had this like do y'all remember this north american slam thing they tried to promote that was it was it was a deer it was a deer hunting show and they tried to kind of like i guess they were trying to play off the whole turkey hunting slam thing and they were identifying i think it was five different subspecies of whitetails and you know to get the slam you had to kill a a, a pope and uh-huh. young a pope and young or what i don't remember the class i think it was pope and young but it was it was a, it was a mature buck it wasn't just any deer 
you had to kill a mature buck of some stature, I don't remember the limitations, of each different subspecies. And every episode they talked about them and they had, and I don't remember all, there was like, but one of them was the Gulf Coast whitetail. They called it the Gulf Coast whitetail and it was basically kind of that Sabine River corridor along Lake Charles, Homa, Thibodeau, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, the Alabama Gulf Coast, and into the Florida Panhandle, and I think maybe all of Florida from there, or at least the Panhandle down. And they they would show a map on the show, and they would highlight the five different regions for the different subspecies in a different color, and they would talk about them, and they would show how they were different, how they rutted at different times, and different body weights, and different average sizes, and all this kind of stuff. I can't. I wish I could remember the name of that show, but uh, I, it was pretty interesting. But uh, they did. They had a what they called a Gulf Coast whitetail, and and one of the other ones was like something to do with Texas. It you know, and it so it was a lot of the West Texas, Sonora, Mexico, New Me- you know th- those whitetails, and then you had the Midwestern, and then you had a Northeastern, and then you had a Western Plains, and uh, so I, anyway. But uh, I've often since that show first I ever heard of that. That's been. Mm, 10 plus years ago that 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 was that show was on and um i've often wondered about that because that's really one of the only places i've heard the term gulf coast whitetail in different ways as it pertains to like deer biology and deer science but that's the only time i've ever seen anybody talk about it on a television show and actually try to showcase it uh, up against a similar whitetail hunt, but for, you know, it, it really in the same way that somebody does a turkey hunting show and they're hunting Easterns in Missouri and then they're hunting Rios in Texas and then they're hunting Merriams in, you know, South Dakota or whatever. They they did it kind of like that. And uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting. So I want, but, and so that makes me wonder, like, if, if a lot of what we see in our state, because I've hunted down south of, of Thibodeau, in the marsh down there where they rutted the third week of October. And it's an actual rifle season that's going on down there. Yeah. And we're sitting in a, in a floating marsh with a shrimp boat, 200 yards in the bay behind us watching, you know, bucks chase does through the marsh grass. It's like crazy people. There literally was, were dudes in a bay boat, red fishing right behind us, like talking to us while we're sitting up in a box stand on the edge of the bank. And there's, you know, 130 inch 10 point chasing a doe, three, 400 yards out there in the marsh. It's, it was, it was nuts. And it was the third week of October. So, um, I, mm, kind of interesting, but yeah, I don't know. I guess kind of what we were, one of the things I wanted to, to talk about before we run out of time here is, you know, with, with, as this air, as this episode airs, will be the eve of the eve of opening day. So opening day, is Sunday, and I know a, a lot of probably a lot of people have been been doing a lot of preparation. And I know it's it's I'm not I'm not bagging on anybody's methods. I do it as well. But I mean, a lot of us, you know, we go out and put corn, put a camera on it in September, and try to get deer that way because we've already mentioned sometimes in in a lot. It's really hard to figure out what deer are doing when the woods are so thick. They're so grown up. It's hard to see sign. The deer aren't really making a lot of sign. You know. Um, I'm curious from your point of view, Ronnie, I know you got kind of a different situation down there where you're able to kind of scout the pre-rut going into the y'all season opener. But, um, if, you know, if you've hunted areas where that's not going on, I mean, is there anything that you've settled on outside of a corn pile 
have you is there anything you've settled on that helps you figure out how to be successful in early season and how to figure deer out yeah so it is i mean the kind of like what i said earlier whenever i moved in i was hunting on the edge of a, a thicket and finally moved into it i mean that's kind of what i've been doing a lot this year is actually just busting off in there you know even though it's hard to you know maneuver in a thicket you know but where i found where i found these deer at it's a real thick like heavy thicket with a lot of cover I mean, and that's kind of where i've been finding most of my deer this year is you know real heavy cover areas shaded areas and real thick stuff and, do, um, do you feel that's like that's what i've been focusing on do you feel like that kind of, I mean, say, do you feel like doing that is kind of I this is how I look at it. I think when it's hot early season, regardless of your rut situation or whatnot, the deer don't move very far. And right. so the logic in that is if a deer's on his feet more, he's going to leave more sign. He's going to be easier to find and figure out if he's covering more ground and he's on his feet more. Um is that kind of the is that kind of the genesis of what you're talking about is, Hey, they're not moving far. So I got to go in there and figure them out. And if you're doing that, yeah. then, you know, what's the risk reward behind busting that out and being able to get in there successfully. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what I was looking at, you know, going in there, it's hard, you know, you can't travel, you can't cover a lot of ground. And, um, being that it is kind of pre-rut, I mean, finding a little area with a bunch of little small, little saplings tore all up and stick it. I mean, that's kind of where I'm sitting on right now. And as I've been moving cameras around trying to find another deer, that's what I've been looking for, trying to go in and find heavy cover areas because I have another area that's going to stick it, but there's not a lot of trees and there's a lot of sunlight comes through there and I'm not getting hardly anything. You know, I'm finding deer trails in here and there, but it's kind of like little does and little yearlings kind of going through, but nothing, you know, not a lot of, not as much activity as I would see in a, as thick area but with more cover it's like they're trying to you know stay out of the heat you know not having sunlight shining on and all that but actually going in there finding easy access not trying to like blow through the woods like a buffalo you know trying to slip in there and find something where you can actually hunt you know yeah so you said but but having to move around a lot you know just right i mean i I can't tell you how many different spots that i kind of went in hung camera I don't get anything for four days. Move here. Move there. Kind of just bouncing around with, without trying to blow out, you know, big areas, you know? Right. That's the biggest thing is having cameras. I mean, I couldn't imagine not having any cameras like, you know, used to. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of had to go in there and kind of wing it, you know, find time, you know, and just sit there, spend time in a tree. And now you have the advantage of having a camera that doesn't work for you. You know, you can go in there and put a camera out and you don't get anything for a few days and let's, let's move. Let's find something different, you know? So that actually, I'm glad you went there because that was that's kind of where my line of question was going next. It, you mentioned you're you're using a lot more cameras than you have in the past, and you're obviously using them heavily in your in your strategy. So what do you when you when you're, I guess, kind of walk us through your your process there of actually figuring out where and how to use these cameras. I mean, I know there's some obvious is there. It's like, Hey, I see a, a, a bunch of rubs right here, or there's an obviously used trail, but, um, is there anything more to it than that? Or are you just kind of playing the, the odds game or, you know, what's your strategy behind how you're moving these around and what are you looking for to say, Hey, I'm going to put a camera here for a couple of days and see. 
I mean, there's nothing too, you know, too much more than that. Other than, you know, you find something, you find some scrapes or, you, you know, find a little group of, of um, rubs and then throw that magic corn out there to kind of persuade them more to come by, you know, to get yeah. some pictures of it. But, um, other than that, just bouncing around a lot. I mean, cause you, you walk through the woods a lot. You're going to, you know, you really see the, the same things over and over. You know, you're going to find your same, same scrape, same rub in this area, you know, over and over. And usually, you know, you have oak trees that play into the factor, but right now it's so dry, we're not having any acres at all. I mean, all, all of our oaks where I'm at, there's, there's no acres at all. So you don't have that playing into your factor. So it kind of makes it more of an advantage to you whenever there's no acres. If you can throw corn out and really draw them in, if you're already you know, close in on their little area, you know, you find their sign, you kind of close in on them and kind of do that and get pictures of them. But, you know, just kind of bouncing around with it, man, just cover a lot of ground, a lot of walking. Yeah. Without the oaks. That's the gist of it. So eliminate the corn from the equation because you're obviously finding commonly used areas. You're just using the corn right. to make them stop in front of the just, camera and, and even just yeah. increase the odds that they're actually going to give you a picture. You already know they're there or you wouldn't be putting the right. camera there. Um, as opposed to pulling off on the side of the four-wheeler trail and dumping a pile of corn and waiting on the deer to smell it and come over <laughs> there, you're putting it where they're at. Just, But let's just yeah. remove, let's remove corn from the equation. If you're in a situation where you're hunting the general... Um, let's use the most common mixed hardwood pine kind of scenario that's that's most common around the state. Um, is there anything that you find this time of the year when the oaks aren't producing? You, is, there a, is there a predominant food source that you can identify when the oaks aren't producing? Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they really do get on briars, like briar patches a lot. Uh, geez, I, don't, I don't know if you ever noticed that they eat um, holly trees. I mean, they will demolish a holly tree over here. Like low hanging limbs on it. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere you can find, like a lot of briar. What's that? Um, we have one down here. The briar, like it's Smilax, I think it's called. I could yeah. be wrong. Is that, yeah. is that the right I think, term? I, that? I think that is a very common okay. deer food. Yeah, so they, but we have a lot of that around here. So if you can find a bunch of that stuff, they really get on to it. Um, but other than that, I mean, persimmons, I mean, if you get lucky enough to come across persimmon tree. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm used to hunting the river bottoms. So we have a bunch of them. And right. I kind of moved off to, you know, more, more piney woods where you, I, mean, I haven't found one on my lease at all. The cemetery. Yeah. But, so but do I'm, you, I'm uh, used to hunting. I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, so you, you were talking about these cameras, but do you think, I mean, you went in and you found the area with the scrapes where you killed the deer. So it's like you almost, right. I mean, you probably – would have killed the deer there even without cameras because that was probably, I'm assuming that was the best sign you fu- you found. So that's where you set up and you ended up killing him. Is that right? Yeah. So I just kind of, I guess, throw the corn out there so I can actually get more pictures of them, you know, get them coming more often and possibly sit there and give me a better shot opportunity. Like the deer I shot um, a week or so ago, if he just was coming through checking a scrape and you know, another buck, you know, they may not have, actually come through and gave me a, a decent shot or whatever so i can kind of persuade him to sit there just a minute or two longer kind of give me a better shot or and get more pictures kind of see what's going on but you know i grew yeah. up and i hunt in public land i mean I, this is my third year being on a list 
so prior to that, everything that I've done with public land, so I'm used to just kind of going out there and finding sign and hang on, you know, me putting food, a food, food, food source out, you know, and biggest thing I've always done early season was finding oak trees with acorns. We always have acorns. And I don't know this year, it's from being beat up from the hurricane and then being so dry, we just we don't have anything. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it definitely makes a big advantage having, you know, throwing corn out or whatever and having cameras. But, I mean, do you ever what miss? you got to do to kind of get them to stay around a little bit. I, I come from the same, I came from kind of the same background. Um, not as much public, even though I, I did hunt a lot of public growing up because there was a lot of public right around our lease. So we ventured off, and oftentimes there were better oak trees on the public than on the lease, you know. Um, but I grew up in Mississippi, and corn wasn't legal when I grew up. It, they didn't make corn legal till I was probably in college or out of college. And I hunted in a hunting club where... It was like you couldn't put corn out. Like you could put corn out in the summer, but you couldn't have corn out up, you know, till so many days before the season opened because it was against the law and they didn't want game wardens on our lease, you know, and stuff like that. So we, um, we, I had to, you know, I grew up hunting the same way that you're talking about having to find sign and having to hunt feed trees and figure stuff out like that. And we didn't, obviously, I didn't have a game camera until I was out of college. And that was, I had to take the role to Walmart and develop the film to see what I took a picture of, you know. Um, so I come all the way through that. And, but I'm curious, you know, being, you kind of identified your background similar. And do you ever miss the days where, you know, just take your your story from this year, where you go in there and you, you finally find your way into that thicket you find that buck sign and you realize hey this is the spot and i don't have any way to verify this other than to climb my butt up in that tree and figure it out the first good chance i get and having no idea what's fixing a walk out it could be the biggest buck in the state of louisiana or it could be a four point you don't know do you ever miss that yeah i guess yeah i guess so when you think about it yeah i don't know yeah, well, I guess it was kind of the rush of it. You didn't really know what was going to happen, you know, what was going to walk out, like you said. But, yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. It's kind of – man, it kind of – it's almost like a completely different sport now. You know, doing all this. Like you, you oh, it's way code, different. You know? <laughs> I, I go back to that a lot. Uh, you know, I think about that a lot. Now, and, and to be fair, those kind of thoughts come to my mind. Usually right about the time I'm cussing a camera because it ain't working – or I'm having to deal with some feeder situation or, you know, some frustration makes me go, you know what, I'm tired of all this shit. I just miss the days when I just had to go find a tree and just um, sit there in my imagination of what might show up, you know. But there's, I think there's some validity to that. Like, it... That's like a whole other can of worms of just like... <laughs> with what's out there now, you know, all the technology and... Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean... It's interesting. We're evolving. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Are we evolving? Yeah. <laughs> We're doing something. I don't know if it's evolution or, or if it's dumbing down because I I, I know. We're getting smarter. Well, you can give it that. Well, I mean, you know. The, That's the, almost like what you were, you were talking about the other day, Locke, on the way home. Like, there was a comment made that, you know, 
the hunters back then were, were better hunters and were getting away from the woodsmanship, but you made the argument that you actually think we're, we're, we're better now because we're much more lethal now. Yeah, so Ronnie, let me give you some background on that because this will be a whole other podcast for a whole other day, but we'll we'll end this episode <laughs> by venturing into this just a little bit because you're you're a plenty good enough candidate to to indulge. Crack the can of worms um, right here. So I, it, Colin and I have a lot of road time together. Like we we travel for work and we are on the road and we talk about all kinds of stuff, as you can imagine. And so. We were listening to a podcast, and the, the 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 theme of this podcast was just kind of talking about getting back to more old school woodsmanship, and not relying so much on all the technology that that is quote unquote making our lives easier as a hunter to find and identify and track down and predict big bucks and all that kind of stuff, and kind of the, and and I'm sure you've read these articles, these threads, heard different podcasts about this where there's a lot of people who are granted they're looking for content, so they're looking for topics just like we do on this podcast and anything else, but but there's been a kind of a talking point going around some of these kind of places where people start to kind of lean back towards you know what the woodsmanship. We need to get back to woodsmanship and they their their kind of their frame of reference to support those conversations has to do with you know back in the day you had to be you know these were better hunters they were their woodsmanship they had to rely on and all that and i asked colin i said you know i'm i'm old enough now that i can see both sides i was a kid during that generation i was raised by those people those men my grand my grandfathers and even my dad came up that way and i learned that but i can tell you unequivocally the the quality of our deer herd and the quality of deer that we kill now is light years beyond. They may have had woodsmanship, but a damn, I, they sh- a damn six point walk by it was done. Like yeah. they, and, and they, you know, yes, they, they, they had to rely on more woodsmanship because some of the technology we have bridges that gap. But at the same time, we're, it's an apples to oranges comparison, if, if, if you follow what I'm saying. Like, we're talking about guys who were just trying to see illegal deer. And we're, we're taking that pursuit and we're putting it on a pedestal against guys who, if I wanted to, I could kill a deer every time I go hunting. That would have been a once in a, you know, once a, every other week or so at the camp. Somebody killed a deer. Somebody killed a rat buck. You know, and that's what we were after. We worked our ass off to kill a a 12-inch basket rack eight-point, and we had done something. I could kill a dozen of those a year everywhere I go. So are we better hunters, or did the woodsmanship make them better hunters? Is it even a fair comparison? Because I think that's a talking point that's happening. It's like, well, if we just hunted like our our grandfathers did and we learned the woods better and all, that's like, well, well, yeah, but, I mean. You're going to get left behind, like way behind. Like, I mean, you know, you're not, uh, to me, in that conversation, they're not taking into account what the, what the goals were. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying being able to go into the woods and figure out wind direction, find a commonly used trail, and shoot the first legal deer that walks by doesn't make you a lethal hunter. Anybody can do that. I don't think they were naming their deer back then. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, we watched a video. 
I ain't saying a name. I'm not going to say any names or anything. But we watched a video of a guy shooting a yearling doe. Oh, Lord. It was it was a, a, a hunt that was filmed last year, but it was an early season archery hunt. First deer of the year. And there's all this bullshit. I'm sorry. Just bullshit. It's all this bullshit about... You know, all of our access points and how we navigated our topo maps. And I'm like, well, you walked into the freaking woods. You found an oak tree and a deer trail, and you shot the first effing yearling that walked by. Oh, man. I mean, goddamn. Like, pardon my French, but I mean, like, how many onyx maps and access points, Ronnie, do you need to go shoot a yearling with your bow? I mean, you they could probably go do that in your yeah. neighbor's backyard on the wall, on the wrong wind, eating in flowers. <laughs> I mean, but we've got people creating YouTube videos and and podcasts promoting all of this woodsmanship and shit, and they're going out there shooting a freaking yearling, you know, that that they won't even run off when they missed it on the first shot. And they're like, we went into public land and we looked at our topo maps and we accessed from this point and we did the beast hunting method and we did. I'm like, you shot a. Fl- yearling with a, with a bow on oh, no. like come on dude i mean you even have guys that are giving the podcast out going out and shooting a hunter this year and saying the same thing oh you know i did this did that from what i've learned from all my guests you got a hunter this year shot a year and a half old i mean it's, my, my point is just like i don't know how we got into this honestly <laughs> i don't know how we even got into this but it's like it's like we have figured out how to kill mature deer that I don't know your background, Ronnie, but it sounds like you come from a similar background to me. The deer that we see at Louisiana Bowhunter that are being killed every, you know, pretty much every weekend throughout the season somewhere in the state, that was like a once in a season thing for somebody to look up and kill a deer that age, stature, that kind of maturity, right? The way we yeah. used to hunt without the aid of technology and all that. But at the same time, we're trying to like parlay that to lethality because we're shooting every damn legal deer that walks by and saying we're a better hunter because we're using woodsmanship than these guys who are using their cameras to kill mature bucks. I mean, come on, man. Like you're you're you, the guys that are using their cameras to kill mature bucks could also shoot all of those spikes and yearlings that you're shooting and claiming that you yeah. used the most old school woodsman's techniques to do so i mean you it, there's enough deer in the world nowadays that like i said it's not hard to go walk through a hardwood bottom find a commonly used trail get on the downwind side of it and shoot a damn yearling that's not hard you know or a three-point that doesn't take an advanced set of knowledge and these guys are bagging on the guys like yourself that are running cameras and doing all this and trying to figure out how to kill a mature deer and they're 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 conflating the two, and that's I guess that's where I'm getting off on this rant is they're conflating the two, and it's not the same thing because you, I you know I know you and 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 have talked hunting with you enough to know that if you wanted to, you could you could do all that too. So are are, are you know, I would say you're accomplishing more by using that than trying to lean on this old school method of and saying, well, I kill a deer, see how how well I can traverse the woods. And it's the, the cameras, the cameras are uh, available and, and, you know, like, like Ronnie, like, I mean, you, you, you have a job and a life and a family and everything. Why would you not use it to, uh, to make yourself more efficient? You know, 
That's correct. I mean, yeah, definitely. I, I, I want advantage. Whatever advantage I can have on it, you know, I'm gonna take it. Being, yeah, because it's, it's off. It's, it, if it's presented in front of me, I'm gonna grab it. You know, why not? Yeah, because you know? I mean, killing a a, a mature white-tailed deer, especially in the South, is not easy. You know, especially right. early season. It's not easy. Yeah, it's, with a bow, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not. It's not easy. And I just get the. I, I, I obviously, as you can tell by my rant, I get the complete red ass when I see things on the internet where people are trying to say, you know, these private land guys with their cameras and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, sure. Well, we'll look at what I did. Yeah, look at what you did. So what? Yeah, but we've been down that. We've been down that <laughs> public land road. You know, we've done all that. <laughs> and all of these guys. The reason they're not doing what you're doing is because they don't want to go kill yearlings. Yeah. You know, and they don't want to hear you brag about how you hunted the most least likely spot and you hunted the south side of a north facing slope or whatever the shit they talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's just stupid. It's just dumb. Yeah. It's like they need something to talk about. Anyway, I'm going to stop yeah. ranting. Ronnie, this is your yeah. fault. You brought me in there. Uh, <laughs> I think no, it was me. <laughs> a lot of feelings hurt. <laughs> well, dude, we uh, congratulations on your deer. It's a nice bug. Yeah, awesome. Nice awesome way deer. to kick off the season, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us and listen to me rant. I had no intention <laughs> to go into that, but uh, did nevertheless. So, uh, yeah. you got any plans for for the uh, official opening day? You got something going on for October first, or you, or what's going on uh, with you? Yeah, I mean just. I still do what I'm doing. I didn't mention it, but I got a monster at my wife's family's land that I've been tracking for two years. Or not tracking. I mean, I got him. He's there, just waiting on his butt to come out there in daylight. Well, uh, you I'm need to you, you need you need to go Ooh. get you a sack full. Of, <laughs> you need to get you a sack full of milkweed to go along with your one stick, <laughs> and you need to get your onyx <laughs> maps, and you probably should got, get and make sure you can access it by water. If you I can't. got, I got on X. Well, you I got a hero. You need to make sure you can access hey, I'm a, I'm a, the water. Hey, I'm a step ahead of you, son. You're, you're, you're one whole step ahead of me. You're right. One step. Hey, I, you need to start. You need to start shooting trad too, because that's the newest yeah, thing. That's awesome. Everybody wow. has to challenge themselves with shooting trad now. Wow. So, well, I gotta take myself back. I ain't doing it. Well, I hope you get him. I hope you figure him out. Yeah. Well, We'll good luck. That's the plan. Good luck, and good luck to everybody. Um, Be safe. However, if you're one sticking like Ronnie, make sure you're attached to the tree or attached to the tree otherwise. A lot of people are going to be climbing trees. And and I can tell some of you idiots I know, just you fixing to go climb up in a stand that you ain't done nothing but look at the ratchet strap and go, eh, it don't look dry rotted. Um that's fixing to happen on from Sunday. the ground. They looked at it yeah. from the ground on Sunday. You're fixing to climb up in a stand that you have not uh, really seriously. So just be safe. Uh, be safe because inevitably we're going to get the news, uh, the headlines. People are going to fall out of trees and stuff. So that those days are coming. So just your your friendly Louisiana Bowhunter safety reminder to attach your ass to the tree so that you can live to hunt another day or walk to hunt another day. Um, 
And remind you, we got some new apparel, new merch out. Uh, got the new free boat ride shirt in a hooded performance, long sleeve performance, and a short sleeve. Got some new rope hats. We got a brand new Mossy Oak Bottomland mesh back leather patch hat that's going to be hitting the website this weekend and some other things. Uh, check those out at your local retailers and online at LouisianaBowHunter.com. Thanks again, Ronnie, for joining us. And hopefully, when we talk to you guys again next week, we will be a weekend of the season and we will have some good stories about uh, the primary opening day throughout the state. And uh, as always, I guess before I wrap up, either one of you got anything before I say the final goodbye? I'm good. Nope. Happy hunting to everyone. Yep. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.